welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. On, on this Resurrection Sunday, we are going to start in the Scriptures in Genesis. Uh, that's the place where you always start on, on Easter, <laughs> is in Genesis, because obviously... The word Genesis means beginning. So we have to start at the beginning if we're going to have a message. So um, I don't know what time you guys are planning on being out of here. But there's only 66 books in the Bible. (laughs) That was the the nervousness, nervousness, nervousness. Is that a word? Most nervous. I'm a professional communicator, can you tell? Thanks, Greg. (laughs) Genesis chapter 2. You're welcome to use your Bible. Uh, I encourage you to know how to work your Bible, to be very familiar with it. You should have tear stains on your your Bible. You should have hallelujahs and exclamation points and highlighted and underlined and notes and all that kind of stuff, which obviously means that you likely have a paper Bible. I want... Uh, you should know your Bible better than you know anything in this world. Amen. The three of you that said amen, I'll be checking later. <laughs> Genesis chapter 2. And I'm going to start in verse 18. I'm going to begin in the ESV, which is the English Standard Version. If you don't have that or uh, you'd like to just follow along and not flip, then you're welcome to... Look at the glowing screen that's above me. In verse 18 it says, Then the Lord God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper for him. And I'm going to warn you now, I could at least spend two hours on this verse. There's at least that much in my heart, and obviously I haven't tapped it all. There's just a couple of really important points that I want to make about this verse as it relates to our journey today. First thing, God made everything. Everything that was in existence at this moment was all made by God. He made it perfect. God doesn't make broken stuff. He he didn't make he didn't make something bad. But there was yet something to experience. And I and this is this is one of those places that you've got to get this in your heart. This isn't necessarily a logically connected place. This is a revelatory connected place. That God didn't make anything bad. There wasn't anything wrong. There wasn't even anything incomplete. Everything that God made was perfect and good and right. And He told Adam, It's not good that you're alone. 
There was an experience. There, there was something that Adam had to do to connect with the perfection of what God had for him. And until he did that, it wasn't good for Adam. God was good. Creation was good. Everything was good. There was no sin. There was no problems. The, the devil hadn't even devilized the place yet. But it still wasn't good that Adam hadn't experienced what God intended for him to experience. Now, the reason I'm highlighting this is because this is a majority of people that call themselves Christians. They have the knowledge, they have the perfection of what God created them to have. If you've said the prayer, if if you've done the fire insurance prayer, Lord, I make you a savior because I was a jerk and now I want to not be a jerk and I want to go up instead of down when I die and obviously you're the only way to get that done, so here's my prayer, check the box. If you've done that, your life is probably not good. In fact, I'll say this, a Christian that lives that way is likely worse off than a sold-out, passionate sinner. Because you're confused. Because now your heart has been changed, resurrected, born again, and the rest of your life is pulling some other direction. And so on the inside of you is a constant tearing, pulling, conflict, and those people are miserable. Miserable. I have pastored some of them. Praise God. They're not here now. We kicked them out. (laughs) I mean, Kay did. You know how she is. (laughs) And the reason is because when you're serving the devil, and you know what you're doing, and you're doing it pretty well. Anybody ever serve the devil pretty well? Chris was was waiting. Say it, say it. Yes. (laughs) Of sinners, chiefest. (laughs) When you're serving the devil well, you're doing it with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. There's no division whatsoever. But when you're born again and you serve the enemy, and that's what a lot of people, I, I don't know about this room, but a lot of people that I know, that is their life. It is torn. It is Sunday, snot and tears, Lord, please help me. And it is, it is Friday night, um, drunk and stupid. Trying to get that pain to numb, and then go to church and try to get that pain to numb, and try to get that pain to numb. And just, and just, it is a, a perpetual, never-ending cycle of trying to medicate either in the spirit or in the natural. And never being medicated. It's not good. That man should be alone. Now let me ask you this. Was Adam alone? Careful, because this is the Bible. God said it's not good for man to be alone. And nobody wants to answer anymore. From now on, Pastor, when you ask questions, I'm shutting up. So, I, I, real, I, want you to, I want you to grid this. He was and he wasn't. Where was Eve? She was here. So, was he alone? No. But, yeah. 
And due to the fact that God had to do something after this, I will make him a helper fit for him. That means that he had to be in some extension alone, because otherwise, why would God do anything? Why would God fix the not good? If something wasn't not good, and if it was not good, that means there in some degree that he was alone. You know, you can be in a crowded room and be alone. I experience this a lot. And you can be completely by yourself in your office, staring at the sky, like me, and be surrounded by a cloud of witnesses. And your Father, and the Holy Spirit, and Jesus' love. Like, it gets crowded in my office sometimes. I'm like, man, Gabriel, just step outside. You're a big guy. Loneliness and alone are two different things. How many gals I've ministered to who are in loveless marriages, who are not alone and lonely? Amen. How many guys I know that have literally some of the most plastic, fake friends that have ever existed on the planet? They can talk to you all day long about football and wouldn't know a single thing about what to do, about the depths of the problems that are in your soul and your heart and your life. Surrounded by pals, completely alone. God's solution for it was to make a helper. And the word make there, it's one of my favorite. Uh... Later on, when he, when he exposes exactly what happened here, that word make means built. This is where we get, and I know the gals are going to love this, but this is where we get the term, that gal is built. It doesn't mean what you think it means, because you guys are really carnal. Um, I'm so spiritual, I can tell you that it means built. My wife is built. Is she looking at me? I get in trouble, and he's kind of, I have to... I'll just move over here. She was built for me. And again, we're carnal, so we're thinking, well, yeah, she's got the exact kind of hair I like and the eyes and, and the body and whatever. Okay, that's great when you're 18. Amen, anybody? Anybody been married longer than a year? Because if that's the thing, then when she's 30, I'm done. Right? Because her hair has changed a little bit and her... Uh, I need to stop. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. 26 and three quarters years of wisdom right there. It only took that long. God didn't... It's not about what was built on the outside because, uh, can anybody give me a witness, a lot of your outside building is you and hostess and McDonald's. Not God. Don't be blaming God for your fast food habits. The part that God built was the real part of K. That's the part that God made for me and for me only. And if I don't experience that, I'm alone. I can be with her. 
There's people in this room you're married. And you rode here in the same car? You like the the same types of foods? You sing the same songs? Wear the same t-shirts? And have never truly experienced what was built for you to experience. And it's not good. And what I just said right there has nothing to do with where we're headed. But because most folks don't have the grid for where I'm going to go, I had to lay this as part of a foundation because you need to understand this marriage covenant that Kay and I have is only a reflection of something that's real. In other words, in heaven, this isn't even real. And I know that's going to mess with a bunch of folks. It's only temporally real. Because when we cross over, she's not my wife. There's no guys and gals in heaven. I don't know what... Don't, I probably shouldn't have said it. There's no marriage in heaven. It... it there's a unique way that we experience heaven that is basically off of our scope of understanding. But whatever that is, I know she's not my wife. We're going to be together in heaven and whatever dynamic that is. I honestly believe that basically everybody in heaven is going to so head over heels love everybody else in heaven that there's just going to be no way to designate how great or how less that is. You know, I love her more than I love some of the other gals in this church. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) It's important. And it's good that she heard that. (laughs) But I believe in heaven that it's just, it's it's all the way, 100% pedal to the metal for everyone. And everyone you see is, is the most important person in all of heaven. But it, because we don't have a grid for some of this heavenly stuff, I wanted to lay that. So if you're, if you're married or if you, if you have children or, uh, you know, you can understand this, uh, I don't know, Romeo and Juliet dynamic, then at least you have a grid for what God is saying here that, that not experiencing it is the aloneness. And it's not good. And so God needed to build something specifically for Adam. Now look at this process that God went through with Adam. And and I'm not going to take you into into deep theological areas because I'm not even really very good at that. We have a a church theologian. His name is Dr. Benjamin, and I'm not him. Praise God. And... One of the things is that the arguments that takes place in, in theology is how long? How long was Adam and Eve in the garden before the snake came in there and mucked it up? The answer is, uh uh-huh. You like that? It's good theological. If you look up, uh uh-huh, in a theological dictionary, you'll have a picture of me. The next verse says that uh, God intended, uh, God had to show Adam basically everything that was out there. Now this is, this is typical fathering that we should all embrace. God had to show Adam what wasn't right in order for him to fully embrace what was right. This is why a lot of you had to go screw your lives up before you came to Jesus. You had to go and experience it for yourself. You couldn't take my word for it. 
I actually had somebody do this to me one time. Somebody I love, um, who I was, I had a, I had a, a major leadership role in her life at one time. And I told this person, I'm like, hey, don't do this. This is going to be painful and it's going to mess up your life and, and cost you a bunch of money and, and, and it's going to be terrible. And he said to me, look me in the eyes. And he said, Steve, I have to make my own mistakes. And I said, why? To him, it meant that then it would be real to him. Let me say this. I don't have to be a meth addict, homeless, living under a bridge to know I don't want to go down that road. Amen? You don't have to learn that way. There's not a requirement from heaven for you to learn through the school of hard knocks. Now, most of us get braggadocious about it. We get arrogant and proud. Well, let me tell you what I learned through all the stupid. What I honestly have come to realize is like, oh, you're a special kind of donkey, ain't you? You just keep beating you and beating you and you don't figure it out. Amen. Way to go. I don't want to be that anymore. I used to want to be that. Well, I'm going to go over here and mess stuff up, and then, and then I'll know. Then I'll know that this is wrong and this is bad, and then I'll do right. I've come to realize at 47, as I, as I ferment and become fine wine, amen. that amen. everybody that's under 47 is like, huh? If they're over that. You're, you're already fine. You're fine. <laughs> See how I did that? Good for me. I, I've come to realize that at 47, that banging my head off a wall like I was when I was 18 actually takes a little longer to recover from. Yes. Anybody? Anybody 47-ish? When you're, when you're 16, you could... Uh, go. You could go run around. You could eat uh, two double size, two mega size McDonald's super. What are they call super size McDonald's meals. Ride your ten speed. This is. I'll just use mine. <laughs> Maybe not you. Steve could when he was sixteen. He could get on his ten speed. Yep, ten speed, and ride from Forest into Freeport, eleven twelve miles, and eat two super size value meals from McDonald's. Back then, they were like five bucks. And uh, and then ride my 10-speed back and then play basketball for six or eight hours. And wake up the next day and be like, I'm hungry again. If Steve Castle of today did that, you uh, it, it probably just wouldn't happen. Let's just leave it at that. I don't want to damn myself or anything like that. But that, that's not going to be Monday for me. I'm not going to do that. I'm not gonna, and if I did do that, if I pulled it off, because I, I might could if I had to, I might could pull it off. I don't know about the McDonald's. <laughs> but I'll guarantee you when I wake up on Tuesday, it's not going to be like, hey, let's do that again. The, the recovery rate of 16 and the recovery rate of 47 are different. Hopefully you've figured out a few tricks in life where you're like, hey, that hurt a lot. Let's not do that. Not because... Uh, not because you're the most amazing person, the wisest, 
person ever, but just because that pain is something you don't want to experience again. And so God fathered even Adam, who was infinitely wiser than anyone in this room. He had all of his brain. All of his brain worked. All of ours don't. And if you're a man, even less. And if you're a teenage, never mind. I don't want to do that. Adam had all unsinned, undiluted, right tra- trained directly from the heart and the mind of God himself. This wasn't Adam being stupid. This was Adam being led into the experience of life by his father, who was, by the way, God. This is why the sin wasn't what people think, like he disobeyed and he ate from the wrong tree. Oh my, are you for real? That is ignorant to think that was the fall. The fall was not he ate from the wrong tree and he was rebellious. That's totally not it. Uh, Maybe we'll get there. Maybe not. Otherwise, I can leave you hanging on that. And so God showed him everything that he had formed. You put that back up, please, Hannah. Now, out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now, call them means name them. Naming is identity. That's why God calls you righteous. God calls you holy. God calls you beloved. That's actually who you are. Well, I don't feel that way. I don't care. What God calls you, that's your name. (laughs) This principle was at play with Adam. Adam was the only part of all of creation that could do this. And we, mankind, are the only part of creation that can still do this. You call your kids stupid? That's the name thereof. You call your wife that old battle axe? That's the name thereof. You call your job terrible? That's the name thereof. You call your your boss a liar? That's the name thereof. Whatever you call things, that's the name thereof. And he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Now this is interesting. God gave him permission to call him what he wanted to call him. God wanted to see what Adam would call them. And here's where a lot of here's what some people aren't getting here. He didn't call any part of creation woman. Because none of creation was woman. In other words, none of creation was what was going to make it not good for Adam. And whatever the man called the living creatures, that was its name. In the King James, that was the name thereof. Verse uh, 20, please. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. That's how smart he was. He named every living thing on this planet. And with that name, gave it identity. When he said lion, that's when the lion became lion. I know that might be deep. But it wasn't lion before he said lion. It wasn't like God was was playing the, the multiple choice game of, of Genesis. Like, here's all the animals, let's see if he gets it right. Ha, ha, ha. No. What Adam called something, that's what it became. 
The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. Are you, are you seeing what the father was doing? He was showing him everything. You have the whole universe, son. Anything you want in this universe that will help you with the not good, you can have it. Man, I'll guarantee you, there are, there are tons of Christians in today's world that if God made the same offer to them, they'd be off and running. I'll take a million dollars. Some folks will be bought out for keeping their job in a pandemic. Amen. I'm not going to go there today, in Jesus' name. Amen. This, this was something that was unique to someone who really fully trusted his father. You know, the other father in this planet, Satan, is going to bring you tons of stuff to see what you think will complete you. That will solve your loneliness problem. For some people, I know this personally, as a fact, I'm not going to preach this. I have threatened it for years, but I'm not doing it today. Because it's Easter, so I can't. But for some of you, it's an animal. It's a dog, or a cat, or a lizard in a box. Because that's your kid. That is your child. It solves the loneliness problem that you have. For some of you, it could be a career. For some of you, it's how much is, is or is yet to be in your wallet. That will solve your loneliness. It's a glowing screen that entertains you. Or a person on that glowing screen, with or without clothes. There's a lot of things that people do to, to deal with this gnaw on the inside of them is what was built for you. Adam, in a way, is better than most people that I know. Because he could have had anything. Anything. You remember the temptation that Jesus had from the devil? Where the devil took him up on a pinnacle and showed him all the kingdoms of the earth and said, Hey, I'll give you all of these kingdoms if you just bow down and worship me. And Jesus said, No. I'm only going to worship my father, and quoted from Numbers. Adam did the same thing. Except it was his father, and it wasn't like a temptation, it was his father letting him know he could. All things are possible, y'all. That that verse just didn't become true when Jesus spoke it. All of the words of God were true before they were spoken. Thy word, O God, is eternal. All things were possible for Adam. Adam could have said, that bird right there, that is my helpmeet. That's going to be part of my uh, uh, of humanity for the rest of existence. And he found, he found. You don't find things you're not looking for. He found that there was no helper that was fit for him. Which is exactly what his father was hoping for. I hope that my son figures out that nothing that's on this planet right now is for him. 
to experience what I want him to experience. Next verse, please, Anna. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. There's so many parallels here. I just want to say this. Jesus also had to experience a deep sleep. About a three-day sleep. And while he slept, took one of the ribs and closed up its place with flesh. The only thing that could ever be fit for man was of his own kind. Not a, a transhumanistic elephant, not, a, not the greatest dog that's ever been made, you know, man's best friend. It could only come from inside of him because that was the only thing that was possible of fully meeting that need that he now became known, uh, now became aware of the fact that he had. And some people, they're just not aware of the fact that they have these needs. This is why uh, it bothers me sometimes when I hear the way people pray because they're praying in a way that they, they believe that they have an understanding of what actually is needful in their lives, and so they're going to fire off their, their grocery list at God. God, if I had some more money, if my wife was prettier, and if, if I had more stations on my TV, then I'd really, really be happy. And don't you know, God in heaven's like, you actually don't need none of that. But I'll let you pray it. And then you get mad at God because none of your prayers get answered. Because those things are not a part of the grace of God. Verse 21, So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon a man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Flesh. I want you to remember that. And the rib that God had taken from the man he made or built into a woman, who brought her to him? God. Not e-harmony? No. <laughs> oh boy. I said it. This is the way God intends for it to be. Uh, I'm going to move on. Because it's going to get... It'll get heavy in here in a minute. And then, then it won't be Easter. It won't be a holiday. Uh, verse 23. Then the man said... He responded to his father... This at last. So I don't know how long it took for him to go through this process, but I can tell you by the end of it, Adam desired to have the solution for the problem that he was now aware of. This at last is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. And then Adam did the thing that he was supposed to do. He called her. Woman. Because she was taken out of man. Does this make her a lesser version of humanity? And I'm, I'm not going to try to unravel all this stuff uh, today. But I, I got news for any of the 
chauvinistic guys that are out there. Um, uh, these legalists that are actually really popular today. Uh, some of them, they can preach a message saying terrible things about gals and, and they'll get a half a million or a million views. I'll just say this. There was something so powerful, special, and unique about her that absolutely nothing in existence was going to solve this problem except her. Now think about this. Adam had God. (laughs) Now that's going to mess with a lot of y'all. Adam had God. God walked him through this entire process. Adam and God did all of this together. You could say Adam had a relationship with God. A good relationship. They did this whole process together. Father, son, walking it out. I I can't imagine that the only words that were exchanged between them are just these few that are recorded in the Bible. However long this took. You know, when Adam said giraffe, I wonder if God was like, that. yeah, we can go with that. Sounds fun. And then when Adam said platypus, God's like, whoa, son, you need to stay away from the grapevine. I don't think that God was just way off in the other part of the universe and just letting Adam figure it out and clunk around down here. I really believe it was fathering him. So Adam had a relationship with God and still needed her. Genesis chapter 3, verse 8, And they heard the sound, they, Adam and, Adam and woman, which woman is uh, Adam with a womb. So it's Adam and Adam with a womb. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Does anybody know why? Because they fell. They sinned. They, in their failure, wanted to separate themselves from God. You could say it this way. They chose each other over God. This is happening all the time. People choosing people over God? I, I, I'm not picking on nobody in here and I'm not looking at nobody here, but there are people in this room that pick people over God. Every day, all the time. Well, I'm not going to say that because they're going to get mad at me. Well, does God want you to say it? Well, yeah, but they'd get mad at me. So you pick them over God. Amen. Well, I know I really should go and do this thing, but my spouse doesn't want me to. And am I trying to tell you to get into fights with your spouse? No. But I'm saying, if you ever pick anything over God, the end result is not going to end well. The greatest thing is to have an incredibly godly relationship with people, and then you don't ever have to get put in that place where you have to choose someone over God, because you, Kay and I can go after God together, because she loves God, I love God, so we can go together. But not every relationship is going to work out that way. 
a lot of your relationships are going to on purpose put tension on your relationship with God. Your boss doesn't wake up tomorrow morning and say, what can I do to help my wonderful employee get closer to God today while I give them money? You might even have a godly boss. And likely that's not going to be what they're going to do. There's always going to be a purposeful tension that is going to come in your life that's going to try to make you choose something or someone over Him. Adam and Eve chose each other. What God put together was so awesome and so amazing for them to experience that they actually chose the gift of God instead of choosing God. Man. That'll preach. How many people just want healing? If I could just get healed. How about you seek the healer? No, that's, I don't want to do all that. Just get the healing. I, I just came to church here to get my marriage right. How about you meet the groom of heaven? No, 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 no. I don't want to do all that Jesus intimate Christianity stuff. I just want my marriage right. I just want the gift. I don't want the giver. Hey, you guys preach prosperity around here? Yep. All right, great. Give me some money. Don't work that way. Well, how's it work? You seek the one who owns the universe. And from that, he dispenses freely on those that he loves. If you seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, then all these other things are added to you. Well, I don't want to seek the king and his righteousness. Well, then go play the lottery. Because that's what a lot of people think Christianity is. If I come in here long enough and I scratch the right numbers, bam, it'll hit my bank account, won't it? Nope, sorry, don't work that way. How many people are seeking the Lord's wallet instead of speaking His heart? How many people are seeking uh, the Lord's hands of healing instead of seeking His heart? How many people are seeking the Lord's wisdom? Help me with all these problems in my life instead of seeking His heart. Guess what happened? This was the, the first thing that set humanity on a course that made us suffer for 4,000 years. <clears throat> and they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden. He wanted to come and meet with them. Notice, God came to them after they sinned. Most people have never heard the beginning, the Genesis story, the fall story in this way. God was seeking them out. They were hiding from Him, not Him hiding from them. Those of you that are in a, that are in whatever you're in, whatever problem, whatever circumstance, whatever guilt, shame, condemning thing that's happening or has happened in your life that makes you feel like you're not allowed to be that close to God because you did the thing, you thought the thing, you experienced the thing. That may be your opinion. That's not His. He's coming for your heart. He's walking in the cool of the garden. He's looking for you. He wants to be with you, failure and all. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of God. Man, please Mark this in your heart. The presence of God isn't what you want to hide from when you miss it. The presence of God is what you want to run into when you miss it. 
And they tried to hide among the trees. And the Lord God called to the man and said to him, the three saddest words I think that are in all of Scripture. Honestly, in my heart, it's hard to even read this. This is God. You know, God could have just like wiped the whole thing out, started over. He's God. God could have been watching him. He, he could have like threatened him. Hey, if you touch that tree, I'll slap you across the universe. I want you to think about this from your perspective. All of creation, all of the eternal humanity is going to rest on you. Just simply doing what you were asked to do for the right heart and the right reasons. I'll give you everything and anything. Just stay here in an intimate place of obedience and love and submission to me. Let me father you. And they couldn't. And he says, this is God. Omnipotent, omnipresent, all-seeing. God says, where? Where are you? And that's my question for you. Where are you? Are you where you need to be? Are you in his presence? Experiencing the life that he's created for you? Are you hiding? Are you hiding behind whatever that thing is? Whatever that person is? Whatever that shame, that condemnation, that thing from last week, last year, last decade... And nobody knows. Because you fit right in. Adam fit in perfectly in the garden. That whole garden knew him and he knew that whole garden. Every animal on there was named by him. He could have walked up to any of them and they would have said, hey, or barked at whatever. He still fit the same way after he failed as he did before he failed. But something was different between him and God. And God said, where? Where are you? You could say this. Adam was hidden from God. Here's what's interesting to me. You know, Adam knew God was there. Adam heard God coming, walking. I have so many things I can say about that. He heard his father coming for him. God wasn't just out for a walk. He wasn't doing his daily exercises. Try to get his 10,000 steps. He was walking to come for him. And Adam heard him. And Adam hid. Adam could see God. God couldn't see Adam. And I know that's going to mess with you. But you need to understand that God is a spirit. And he sees us. 
in the Spirit. I know you think He sees that stupid thing you did in your soul. A terrible thing you've done to your body. That is not who God is. And He could not see His Son because His Son was hiding from the presence of His Spirit. And then God said, or then Adam said to God, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid. Afraid? Of what? What did he ever do? What big meanie thing did God ever do to Adam to make him afraid? Man, I hope you get this. This is really important for, uh, for healthy psychology in your life. Because how many people have what they consider to be fears or negative feelings or opinions of other people and it is completely unjustified. I have had people say terrible, terrible, terrible things about me and they don't even know me. And I'm just using me as an example because everyone out here probably had the same thing happen. It started here. If I was God, what are you afraid of? Son, I gave you everything. And now you're scared of me? Let me say it this way. His fear for God had zero to do with God, had everything to do with Adam. And fear today works the exact same way. Any fear that you have has zero to do with God, has everything to do with your opinion. Has zero to do with the tyrants that are out there in government, the tyrants that are out there in the in the fake viruses, the tyrants that are out there in the lies and the manipulations and inflation and oh my God, zero, and everything to do with whether you let those fears land in your life and your heart or not, because your God is greater than everything I just said. And I was afraid because I was naked. <laughs> Let me ask you this. How much more naked was he now than he was before? And I, I, I cannot stand, I cannot spend a bunch of time here. <laughs> but your degree of what you believe you to be exposed before God and before other people is going to be very, very congruent with the amount of shame and guilt and condemnation that you have in your life. I've got nothing to hide. Just yesterday I was talking to someone and they... Uh, man, I ain't got time for this story. No, I started it. We were, were trying to do some, some great things in America and change some stuff and this person was very concerned about the government knowing what we were doing. And I, and I told this person, I said, I'm an open book. You want to know about Steve Castle? Watch the YouTube. They can record any one of my phone calls. They can check any one of my emails. They can hack my computer anytime they want. They can come put a secret camera in our bedroom. I got nothing to hide. You're not going to find me doing some illegal thing. I don't have anything that I'm secretly doing that nobody else knows about. You want to know about Steve Castle? Sit down and watch some YouTubes. This, this is me. And all those that are intimate with me in the room, this is who I am. If I'm out walking with you in Crate Park, this is who I am on the pulpit. And it's the same thing with God. God doesn't change. God was the same. Adam changed. Yeah. 
And it changed the dynamic of their relationship together. Isaiah chapter 59, verse 1. Behold, the Lord's hand is not short that it cannot save, or His ear dull that it cannot hear. Verse 2. But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God. How many people have heard some well-intended preacher say, your sins separate you from God? God cannot look on your unholy, terrible, sorry self. No, you can't look at Him. He's not offended by you. You're offended by Him. How many people were offended at Jesus? What did He do wrong? Did he not love them? Was he not gracious? Did he not speak in truth? No. Everything that he got crucified for was because he did it right. Perfect, in fact. Not even anybody in this room could say perfect. Jesus did it perfect. And what it got him was killed. So don't think for a second that when you're doing things right, that the world is going to appreciate you. In fact, more often the world appreciates you, the more likely you could be conforming just to make them happy. I don't want the world to be happy with me. Ever. Ever. I want my Father to be pleased with me. And your sins have hidden His face from you. Your sins hid His face from you. So that He does not hear. Jeremiah 17.9, what happened to mankind? They went from perfect, perfection, awesome, wonderful, everything's cool in the garden, to Jeremiah 17.9, the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. This will take your self-help books and it will throw them in the barbecue pit. Because there's a bunch of people in this world that thinks, if I just do a little bit better, my life will get a little bit better. Self is what helped you into the misery that you're in. Self will never help you out of it. There's no such thing as self-help. There's no such thing as change without Jesus. And I know that's contrary to a lot of Christianity too. I can change. I don't need Jesus. I can just change. I can just choose to be a better person. Okay. You go on and fake it for a while. Let's see what happens. You know, you can take a, a pig... A pot-belly pig. And you can put a bow on a pot-belly pig. And you can put perfume on it. And you can put a little dress on it. And you can take pictures of it and prance it across Facebook. And everybody say, oh, look at the cute dog. But you take that pig out and you show them a great big mud hole. And bow, dress, perfume, and all is going right in that mud hole, and that pig's going to, whoa, yeah. Because the nature of that pig is pig. So you can pretty yourself up. You can put a bow on you. You can put some perfume on you. You can take all the Facebook pictures you want of you doing all the great Christian stuff. But unless Christ changes you, you're looking for a mud hole. The heart is desperately wicked, is what it says in the King James. Who can know it? 
Jesus in John 14. And I'm breaking right into a thought, but he answered his disciples. He says, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my father will love him. And we will come to him and make our home with him. We will come, we will come walking in the garden. And you will actually let us come and make a home with you. And not be like Adam and hide. And we'll come make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. Jesus was with them. God was with them. Verse 26, but the helper, the what? What did God gonna, what was God gonna make for Adam because he was alone? Whoa. So here's God talking to Adam, mankind, through Jesus saying, I have a helper for you. I'm gonna build you a helper. Just like I did in the garden, just like I did for the first Adam, here I have the last Adam, Jesus Christ telling you, There's a helper that God is going to build for you, for your life. The Holy Spirit. Whom the Father will send in my name. So what will he look like? What will he sound like? What will he be like? How will he walk? How will he talk? Just like me. He's going to be just like me. That's how you'll know it. And he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all things that I have said. The Holy Spirit speaks in Jesus' ease. Jesus experienced the spectrum of human anguish and loneliness with an intensity that overwhelms our understanding. By doing so, he solidified his claims as the absolute intercessor between God and man. The Garden of Gethsemane represents Jesus' ultimate identification with the humanity that he came to rescue. Jesus said, My soul is crushed with grief at the point of death when he was in the garden just before being crucified. Jesus told Peter, James, and John, his three closest, most intimate disciples, that he asked to pray with him. Be with me. Commune with me. And they would not because they lacked the heart to resist sleep. Unwittingly, Jesus' closest disciples contributed to that bloody, sweaty, soul torment of traumatic anguish. Three times Jesus took a break from praying to check on Peter, James, and John. Three times he found them asleep. After waking, after walking a few paces to be by himself, separated, the God of all flesh fell on his face and gave full vent to his profound and unmatched pain. 
My Father, if it's possible, let this cup of suffering be taken from me, Jesus prayed. Yet I want your will and not mine. What suffering was he experiencing? The loneliness of knowing that he was about to face this thing. And even his disciples, even his closest disciples, couldn't help him. Adam's failure became Jesus' cry. The ageless battle between self-preservation and submission to the will of a divine yet loving God was raging unknowingly to the lethargic disciples who had sworn, vowed to serve Jesus, their master. Couldn't you stay awake and watch with me for even one hour? Jesus questioned, denoting the complete loneliness of the God of all flesh, made in the likeness of sinful flesh, battling for all flesh. Now his disciples flee from him because of the fear of governmental retribution. Doesn't that sound familiar? If they stay with Jesus, they could be persecuted, prosecuted, maybe executed. Much too large a price, like many today. Now Jesus is alone. Just his father to face the torture and the injustice of the arrogant, prideful men that are going to kill him. Now Jesus is bloody, scourged, tortured by the very mankind that he has come to bring back into unity with God. That he desperately wants to save. Nailed inhumanely to a rugged cross. His mother comes to rescue him from a lonely death. But loneliness was his intended fate. John, behold your mother. His last earthly connection. The once virgin Mary. The one who held and nurtured him from the unique place of knowing who he really was. He gives her away to a disciple that couldn't even stay and pray with him. Imagine the desire of Jesus in that moment to be loved by his mother, to be held, to be nurtured, to have his mommy kiss his boo-boos. But he was meant to be utterly alone. And so he had to cast her away to fulfill his father's will. Now, just the Trinity remains. This is the way it's been throughout every second of every moment, throughout infinite eons of time. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. The three in one, in perfect unity and perfect intimacy. Father, into your hands I release my spirit. What? Most people don't have a grid for this. The Trinity. God himself. Being broken apart? The Trinity being broken? 
the comforter, the helper. He gave up his helper. Who had been the connection point between him and his father in this earthly ministry these last three years. The tangible part of God's pleasure. The Trinity now down to two. Only God could be broken in this familiar way. Only God could experience this kind of loneliness. This is eerily similar to the one who walked the Garden of Eden and asked, Where are you? Jesus finally faces death. Satan and all sin, with just the assurance of his Father's love, as the single thread of connection, holding him back from absolute desolation. Absolute, complete loneliness and desolation. The only thing, the only thread, is his Father who loves him. But the Father, in that most terrible moment, turns away from his Son, Because of the grotesque embodiment of sin he has now become. Holy God separated from unholy man once again. My God! My God! Why have you forsaken me? Through bloodied lips, a broken heart, and labored breath, The last cry of a now completely alone Adam pierces the darkness of the worst day in history. The loneliness and isolation of this moment that extends hour after hour, day after day for three days, surpasses human understanding. Never has anyone ever been that alone. Second Corinthians 5. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Therefore, all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regret no one, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, now we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is past. Behold, the new has come. A new creation, what kind of creation? Out of Him came us. Out of the loneliness of the last Adam dying and paying for all of mankind, out of being completely rejected by the Father, after being given away His Spirit, after His disciples fleeing, after torturous time with the devil, in darkness and misery, something was birthed out of Him. And we came out of He. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. A new creation. 
that never existed before. The old's passed away. Behold, he's become new. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us this same ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. He was looking for them in the garden. And entrusting to us the same message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. So we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. When you hear him walking in your garden, run to him. For our sake, he, the Father, made him, Jesus, to be sin, who knew no sin, so that you and I, might become in right standing with God. Now we can see Him face to face because we came out of He and He has made us a helper. Matthew 28 in the Passion. Then Jesus came close and to them, uh, then Jesus came close to them and said, All authority of the universe has been given to me. He earned it. Now, wherever you go, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, immersing them in the name, in the name, in the name, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. God has named us the Trinity is now our new name for our new creation so that we can be just like Him face to face and never experience loneliness or alone ever again because He made us to be with Him in His garden forever. Verse 20, And teach them to faithfully follow all that I have commanded you and never forget that I am with you every day, even to the completion of this age. Never forget. I don't care how terrible that situation is. I don't care who that person is that left you. I don't care what society says about you. I don't care what you say about you. Don't you ever forget that the Father made it so you and He would never be separated again. That He put His Spirit on the inside of you because there was nothing else in all of creation that could make you and Him solve this alone problem together. And so He put His Spirit on the inside of you and made a helper in you just like the helper, Jesus, who came. Now you know exactly what your helper looks like. You know exactly what he talks like. And so to not experience loneliness or alone ever again, it is now important for you to experience what's already on the inside of you. Like Adam had to experience her, you need to experience God that's on the inside of you. So as the gals are going to minister to us in, in one last song, this is like my, I asked for it. And I mean that in a positive way.
Because this is just one of those songs that, that cries these things out. And so as they're ministering that, I'm going to have the altar ministers come up here. And they're going to be available. And if you are for some reason in a separated place with God, I now don't care what it is. If it's your marriage, if it's your health, if it's your finances, if it's your soul, if it's guilt or shame or condemnation, if there's something that's separated from the God that went through all of the terribleness of this loneliness to bring us in reconciliation with Him, I do not want you to leave this building until you walk with Him in the garden by meeting with these altar ministers that are going to be available to you. All right, altar ministers, please come up. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of His life-changing Word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health prospering your body and all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.